Dear audience, the following episode of the Cinema Sideshow podcast has been pre-recorded due to Zeke's extravaganza of a holiday trip for the following reasons. Reason number one, he has travelling money. Reason number two, Jake does not. And reason number three, priorities have been accordingly sorted. Thank you and enjoy the show. Yours lovingly, Z and Jake. How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jake. And you're listening to the Cinema Side Show Podcast, episode 51. 51! We're almost one, Jake! What, 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 what? Whoa. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year. Welcome, First... welcome to 2020. Oh, man. It's weird to be in the future. I know, we can't make that vision joke anymore. No, we are in the new decade. We are yeah. a decade older. We've been running for two decades. What? what, what? Oh, oh my god, that's yeah. terrifying. We are two years old. You know no, what twenty pe- years. You old. know what people are going to do now? What now? They can't do that. Oh, I have twenty twenty vision anymore. Joke. No, the, they're going to flip the joke around. So it's like, oh, where do you see yourself in such and such years? And they're like, oh, well, I know because I have twenty twenty vision. Could you do that's like be the joke they make forty forty vision? No, you can't because you're like twice as good. I don't that's know. that's not how it works. What about twenty twenty one vision? That, that, that's also not how it works. <laughs> we had a we had a party last year running for guild election, and their thing was vision, and it was twenty twenty was their logo. Oh, really? It was embarrassing. I didn't even know that. You know what one of their policies was? <laughs> smaller classrooms, like they could dictate what smaller classrooms are. Anyway, guild politics aside, how are you, Jake? Well, I feel good because I don't go to Murdoch University anymore. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> no, we, we, it's, that's more of a time joke than it is a than it is a. Uh, situational joke. Absolutely. So we are now we're in the future into our pre-recorded episodes as the disclaimer the said at the start of the show. That's our Wes Anderson homage intro right there. So a lot of the parts of the show aren't going to be as relevant because I can't ask you what you've been watching this week. Yeah, we're going to change it up. Yes. Yeah, we've got a few uh, little uh, activities as you would have heard last week on the show. We did our first Absolutely. one. Absolutely. Um. So Jake. I proposed this to you mm. when we obviously proposed the idea of these pre-recorded episodes. Over a KFC meal. Absolutely. <laughs> the most nutritious feed. <laughs> Breakfast um, of champions. So for this week on the show, I wanted to do a kind of a whose line is it anyway, mm. but yeah. more whose line is it for a Wes Anderson film as per se. I've got to find uh, a catchier name for it. Yeah. Well, it's a little but late now. As you Excuse can tell, uh, Wes Anderson lines are quotable for a different reason as compared to other films. Um, <laughs> I, I can think of a few off the top of my head that I really enjoy. Um, and I propose to you that we both go from our Wes Anderson filmographies, right. pick up some of the most iconic lines from them, and ask the other to guess who said it and which film it was from. Mm, so, I don't know if I'm up for this challenge. Oh. So do you have some yourself? Well, I do. I've written down a few quotes. I didn't write down who says them necessarily. Mm-hmm. I think I should be able to roughly... At least, at least the actor who said it, more okay. so than the character name, but I should be okay. But Would I do have like, a bunch of quotes. Would you like to go back and forth? Yeah, yeah. How many do you have? Uh, I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I've got nine. I only have six. That's a, or, Okay, one of them's kind of a joke quote. Okay. Which I'll say to you right now. My quote is, when this film is done, I'm going to high-five you crisply. Do you remember who said that? Wes Anderson. <laughs> no, you said that 10 minutes ago. Oh, really? <laughs> you turned to me and said, when this film is done, I'm going to high-five you crisply. That's one of my favourite quotes, because like, I said it. <laughs> okay, so, so you've got eight. I've got eight, yeah. Okay. We can make this work. No, okay. Would you like to start then, seeing as you have more quotes? Sure. All right, well, I'll start with uh, this quote. Um, I'm curious if you're going to get this on the spot. 
Why'd you take your shoes off so I don't break your nose when I kick it? Whoa. Mm. I feel like this is going to be um, the Royal Tenenbaums. And uh, I'm probably going to guess that Luke Wilson's character might have said this. That is the incorrect film. Oh, okay. Was it the incorrect film or? Both are incorrect, yes. What was the correct answer? Uh, that quote is from Fantastic Mr. Fox. I believe it's I believe it's the son. I believe it's the yeah, son who says, I'll break the... your nose when I kick it. What a great film. I think we I talked about it earlier in the year. Not that long ago, yes. Yeah. So, so that was... I really enjoy Fantastic. I, I've gone on to say, like in our Bottle Rocket episode, episode 20. Yeah, 20. Wow. Um, a while back that uh, I think the stop motion ones are my favourites. They are having seen. I've seen a few Wes Anderson films now. I've seen as of recording five out of his ten films now, and mm-hmm. two of them include Fantastic Mr. Fox and, and Isle of Dogs. And I think I think I agree with you. They both really stand out. I think I've seen six. Book. Okay, that's cool. Bottle Rocket, uh, Isle of Dogs, Fantastic, Budapest, Moonrise, the film of yep. the week. And am I missing any? Uh, I think you named five this then. I named five, but I'm trying to think if I've... Did I say Tenenbaums? Uh, you think you did. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I lost count too. <laughs> well, I've seen, I've seen the two stop motion ones, The Life Aquatic. I haven't seen The Life Aquatic. Right. Uh, and then Bottle Rocket, which we did on the show. And, uh, and of course, the film we're doing this week. Beautiful. So, well, yeah. back to me. I've got one here. Okay. Here we go. Uh, we are, we all are different, but there's something kind of fantastic about that, isn't there? Well, I'm going to have a wild guess. Yes. <laughs> That's fantastic, Mr. Fox. Okay. Um, is it Mr. Fox who says that? No? Okay. It is Meryl Streep's Mrs. Felicity Fox. Ah. In exchange to... Right, is that right at the end? She says that? Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah, in the really final good. scene. Yeah. Really good scene. Nice. I do remember that. I think I watched, yeah, like as we're on the co- like the topic of Fantastic Mr. Fox, then I think I also watched it relatively early in the year, rewatched mm. it, and I forgot how funny that film is. It's really funny. That scene man. when the cider dude just destroys his office, and it goes for like <laughs> a good minute of yeah. him just destroying everything. Amazing. That's awesome. All right, All right I'll throw back one uh, one to you. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick one that you have seen because I got a couple of of ones in here that you wouldn't have seen. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I'm going to go with to the north, a long rickety causeway over a... Uh, sorry, my text is really small on here. I'm going to zoom in a bit. Uh, all right. To the north, a long crickety causeway over a noxious... Nox, noxious Jesus Christ. Nor, I'm going to say nauseous sludge marsh leading to a radioactive landfill polluted by toxic chemical garbage. That's our destination. That is definitely Isle of Dogs. Yep, that's Isle of Dogs. And I'm going to guess it might be probably, I want to say it's, um, oh, I know who it is. It's the seeing dog. Uh, okay. Uh, the one that's got. Um, I, I didn't write down who wrote the He's the narrator for a little right. bit. Gotcha, I gotcha. I can't remember who plays I thought it, it would have been like Chief who said that. Nope. Fair enough. Cool. However. All right, next one. Back to you. Back to you. Um, <laughs> you probably aren't going to get this one. I think we're just going to have to be secretly in love with each other and leave it at that. Mm. That's not 
Moonrise Kingdom, is it? It is not. Okay, give me another one. Uh, I mean, give me another chance to guess. Yeah, sure. Um, so it's one I've definitely seen? No. Nope. No. Okay. I'm going to say Grand Budapest. No. It is the Royal Tenenbaums. Oh, and okay. I really encourage you to watch this film, Jake. I might have to rent it to you. Right, okay. Um, people hallmark it as his best. They, they're they in a kind of a tussle between Moonrise and this one. Mm. I personally think, not to spoil too much about our review of Moonrise later right. in the show, but obviously I think Moonrise might be my pick out of the two, I think. Mm. But Gwyneth Paltrow's in this one. Okay. I think it is. I think it's Does Gwyneth she Paltrow. say this quote? Yes. Okay. My, who, has a, who has a relationship with, all three of the uh, siblings aren't related to each other. I think they're all adopted. Right. Uh, and two of them have a romance. Ah, uh, okay, I see. So it's that weird sort of, it's not incestual, but it... But which could, I've started could... to realise, there's some really strange thing in Wes Anderson films. <laughs> I'm starting to pick some up weird some blurred, commonalities. Um, lines, I guess, but... Well, you could see why I thought it might have been Moonrise Kingdom. Yes. From that uh, quote, um, but yeah. I'm um, sure we'll talk about it a little bit more yeah, in the show. yeah. Uh, back to you, bud. All right. I'm going to say this one. In 12 years, he'll be 11 and a half. <laughs> um, I want to say that's Moonrise Kingdom. Nope. Really? No. I can't tell you. I'm cheating a little. Is the life aquatic. Ah. And there will be more in there, so... Fair if there's one that doesn't sound familiar whatsoever, that might be your go-to okay. suggestion. But uh, I can't remember who's saying that. It's probably mm-hmm. Bill Murray, but he's definitely saying it to Kate Blanchett, who's pregnant, and that's why he says in 12 years he'll be 11 and a half. That's fair. Yeah. Well, I was a little embarrassed at first. Obviously, people were going to think that I'm a showboat and a little bit of a prick, but then I realized that's me. I said those things. I did those things, and I can live with that. Damn. That sounds so familiar. But I don't know. Um, Bottle Rocket? Incorrect. It was The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou, and Steve Zizou said it. Damn. You're a cheeky son of a bitch. Put it right <laughs> back in your face. <laughs> that makes I really got to watch sense, this film. Because I know you rented it from... Fanbase. Fanbase, which you are a big fan of. Um, I'm a fan of Based fanbase. on your opinion of the show. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, like, uh, I didn't get to watch it by the time you returned it, so I'll have to watch it elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, that's a bit of a shame. But, there's, I mean, it's not a, it's not an old, old film. Okay. But uh, you'll be able to find it. It's like 2004, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. All right, well, I'll go on to my next one. This is, You'll probably know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about, because I laughed during this. With all due respect, you can't let your children stab people. This is definitely Moonrise Kingdom. <laughs> and I believe it's the plane pilot that says this. It is... Um, Bruce Willis's character, oh, he says it. Brilliant. Brilliant scene, <laughs> which we'll talk about that's, a little bit. That's my favourite quote in well, that film. Well, I think you will laugh at this one. All right. I bite. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely Chief, I'm guessing, yes. from Isle of Dogs. You are correct. Yeah, I love that. Um, all right, cool. I'm trying to like reorder the thing. Okay, okay, how about this? I understand what you're saying, and your comments are valuable, but I'm going to ignore your advice. I feel like it was Bottle Rocket. No. Oh, there you go. I have no clue. What do you... Uh, okay. It's fantastic, Mr. Fox. And I believe <laughs> yeah. Mr. Fox says it to... I forget he's the one with like, the big eyes. I think that one's probably... I think. Uh, that, that movie, I think, has the most 
quotable lines. It, it feels some like fantastic quotes. In it, yeah, really. there is. Um, I have one more. I love you, but you don't know what you're talking about. Oh, um, is that Moonrise? That is Moonrise. I thought so. It is in the opening oh, interaction right, between right, Sam right, and the right, girl. Right, yeah, yeah. Sam and he and just slides in the fact he that's loves her. That's right. He slides it in. A little cheeky, cheeky, bro. Yeah. Cool. That's a good one. Yeah, I'm, I knew it was definitely from that. All right, cool. Ned, how many fingers am I holding up? I don't know. That's not my job. Too many to tell. How many fingers? He's going to be just fine. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Want to have a cheeky guess? Probably Royal Tenenbaums? No. It is again the Life Aquatic. Ah. <laughs> I know. Cheeky bug. I really got to watch that film. Yeah. It's... Have you got any more? Uh, I got two more. Okay. Well, okay, I'll say them both, but there is a commonality between the two. So one of them, was he a good dog? Who's to say? But he didn't deserve to die. That is definitely uh, Isle of Dogs. And no, it's not. What? That's from Moonrise oh, King. Moon- yeah. yeah, yeah. There you go. And my last one, it's a bit of a beefy one, but we'll see if uh, you can figure it out from this one. I can't offer you a legally binding union, and it won't hold, hold up in the state, the county, or frankly any court in the world, due to your age, lack of a license, and failure to give <laughs> parental consent. But the ritual does carry a very important moral weight within yourselves. You can't enter into this lightly. Look into my eyes. Do you love each other? That is Moonrise <laughs> Kingdom, and that is said by, uh, I think I said his name, Jason Schwartz. This I, character, yeah, well, definitely the the uh, the, 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 the scout celebrant. Yep, yep, the basically. celebrant. That's it. I have one more quote. I did lie, but I wanted to uh, leave this just to the end because okay. it's a little sneaky. Okay, one. sneaky. I don't think any of us are normal people. Ooh. Hmm. Damn. Have I? Is this one I've seen? Sort of. Sort of. Is it bottle rocket? No. No. Is it? The hell do you mean sort of? <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked, Jake. The quote was oh. directly from Wes Anderson. Oh, it was a bit you, of a cheat. You suck. But I thought you were going to say Bottle Rocket. If that doesn't sum film. up Wes Anderson as a director, mm. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it does. And say the quote again. I don't think any of us are normal people. Uh, there you go. And Beautiful. I feel like that's a good way to lead into the film of the week. That is correct. Zeke, what is the film of the week? We are watching Wes Anderson's Moonrise Kingdom. What kind of bird are you? I'm a sparrow. She's a dog. No, I said. What kind of bird are you? Sam, a 12-year-old orphan, falls in love with Susie, and the two run away to a secluded cove on an island, prompting the entire town to begin a search. Moonrise mm. Kingdom is a film that uh, was talked about a lot, and especially is hallmarked with Wes Anderson as probably his best film. Okay. So I'm surprised it took for you to be your fifth film from Wes Anderson that you've yes, watched, yeah. and I think my sixth, maybe my fifth. It's one of the two. We're struggling with your count at the yeah, moment. Yeah, I am really <laughs> struggling. <laughs> Did it top your list for Wes Anderson right now? Uh, I would say didn't, definitely didn't top it. No. I thoroughly enjoyed this film. Yep. Um, I have some I have some highlights. 
I guess they're non-issues, but things I want to talk about in depth. Absolutely. So you get your opinion on. Um, I don't know. I still feel like I feel like both his animations trump this. Um, I think we're both but, on the same page about that. We right. both seem to hold the two animations in higher regard than the rest of the. But you know what I think it is. I think, and this is something that goes back. I talked about the Life Aquatic. Excuse me, I don't even remember uh, what episode it was. Maybe like thirty-nine or forty, or around. It yeah. was around that area, and I remember talking about how it felt like a half-done cake mm-hmm. with Wes Anderson doing his, you know, his very apparent style of, you know, uh, symmetrical shots and just very carefully orchestrated sort of miss on scene, if you will, mm-hmm. and. With a lot, with the life aquatic, it was very muddled with kind of this handheld doco style stuff that was like every two scenes, and it really kind of weirded me out. And then on the other hand, you have Bottle Rocket, which it is his first feature, is way less stylistically uh, distinct for him. I would say this is the first live action Anderson film I've seen that takes his style a hundred percent of the way. Yeah, it really commits to it. Mm. And I think that's kind of where I sit, where it's like, I think I prefer both his animations, but this is his top live-action film in my in my head so far. I think it comes back to, because um, of his various styles, including his script, his camera work, mm. his uh, performances, and he's very uh, well-known for being very regimented on this stuff. He has not mm. got a lot of flexibility as a director. He has a very particular way of doing things. Mm. And some actors work really well in that formula, some don't. I know he had problems with Gene Hackman on Royal Tenenbaums. Okay. And it's probably why he does keep coming back to the same mm. cast over and over again. Because, Drama. Because people <laughs> like Bill Murray, Owen Wilson, uh, Jason Schwartzman, uh, and uh, Ed Norton mm. all fit in that more regimented style. It's similar to Tarantino the- how he says, there's only certain actors who can do my dialogue. Yeah. And I kind of feel like a similar thing applies here. Yeah, and I mean, Finch is the same with his stuff too. Yeah. Um, and it's probably why Fincher quite a few times came back to relatively similar cast or quite regimented stuff. Mm. So certain people work in this formula better than others, particularly uh, probably younger and more contemporary people. If you notice a lot of... Or it feels like a lot of um, Wes Anderson films have a relatively young cast when you think about it, even like... Okay, yeah. Um, I mean, definitely like Bottle Rocket and stuff like well, that. Well, and and but they started young and got old. They grew with him, right? Which right. is a little bit different than them being cast older. Like even Bill Murray was cast first cast in a Wes Anderson film relatively young, mm. and even Bill Murray's performance style, tracing all the way back to Ghostbusters, has always been a very reserved performance. Yeah, you know everything he delivers is very like deadpan. So it kind of works perfectly in Wes Anderson's school of like acting yeah um there are exceptions to the rule people like uh, francis mcdermott who's uh right been in a few of them like right she's but, like, uh she's, she's not very res- like she can go in different yeah like, i feel like she has a lot of flexibility but, but i think an even better example that would be like bruce willis yeah who, but, who, I mean, bruce Will- bruce, but yeah i guess but bruce willis is also for the most part been performing in action films so he doesn't have to act that much <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not saying Bruce Willis can't act. I mean, uh, you know, he has been in really good films. Right. And, I mean, a lot of people hold Fifth Element and Sixth Sense in high regard. Both films I have not watched, um, which is, feels weird. Well, I've I've had some cardinal uh, scenes with Bruce Willis. We've all uh, we've all got our like black book of films. But I, I've just noticed that like 
they may not be young now, but they were young at a point when mm-hmm. maybe Anderson picked them up or they're generally the ones he seemed to struggle with and the only ones he uses for one film are the ones that are a bit older and a bit more traditional film. I think Willem Dafoe, correct me if I'm wrong, he's only in The Life Aquatic. No, uh, he's in okay. Grand Budapest too. Ah, well, there you go. Beautiful. I did correct you. Ah, uh, while well, I asked you to. <laughs> he's very good in it too. Sweet, yeah. But I don't think Willem Dafoe is also probably... Like relative, and I'd like to think he's pretty him, easy I'll, to work with too. Yeah, I imagine so. I wouldn't call him young, but you're right. I think he's very open to. He's done a lot of different. I mean, he was Green Goblin for. I God mean, Life Aquatic was in what 2004. Yeah, it was right after his Green Goblin so, performance. So there you go. So yeah, nothing's off the table, I suppose. <laughs> I, fair enough. Well, yeah. I mean, I think I had a very positive verdict with this film. Mm. I think I like you. I think out of the live action ones I've seen, I probably enjoyed this one the most. It yeah. Definitely had probably my favourite perform live action performance from an actor in it. In in who exactly? Ed Norton. Yeah, fair call. Got to give it to Ed for this one, Eddie. Yeah, um, I, I love loved that. him from the start. <laughs> uh, I think this film, like you said, um, and I haven't watched Life Aquatic, but it feels the most like Wes Anderson has finally hit his stride as Absolutely, a, a yeah. director. I mean, if I'm checking this just quickly, I'm just checking where... I, I... mean, this would be seventh... This was definitely after Fantastic. It Mr. was Fox. after Fantastic, but before Isle of Dogs, obviously. Yep. And Grand Budapest. And before Grand Budapest. So um, yep. I think I'm at a tie. I do like Grand Budapest for some things, but mm. particularly um, Adrian Brody's performance in that film, I'd really like you to give that a watch because you'd really enjoy I it. I really, I really... And I would love to get um James Norton on the show. When we do that. The Grand Budapest, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But this one, uh, yeah, I think I enjoyed this one the most. I think it had the funnest plot and just... Yeah, that's a good good point because I said it to you. We sat down and watched this together. Was this the first time you watched it as well? Yes. Cool. So we sat down and watched this together in your room, actually, on... on, I think I brought the DVD over. Yep. And um, I said that to you pretty early on. I was like, this is like the story that, that... that Wes Anderson decided to tell with this one. And I yeah. uh, mentioned to you earlier, it was actually co-written by the son of Francis Ford Coppola. That's insane. Yeah, which it's, yeah, kind of blue. And it turns out he's like an assistant director on like a bunch of other stuff, including Marie Antoinette. Because I was about to say, <laughs> Sophia Coppola gets the, the front runner position in the Coppola family. Ah, uh, fair call. Forget there is a, you, a, a Yeah, son, you know I what? I didn't even think of that. Yeah. It's like Jake and Maggie Gyllenhaal. Like, I just do not make these connections until you bring them up. Right. It's crazy. But um, I guess that actually makes sense that he was an assistant director or, or a first AD on, on mm. a Marie Antoinette. I guess it makes a lot of sense. But no, to, to go back to this story, th- I said it to you, this feels like the perfect story from like a tonal point of yeah. view for, for Wes to do. In that sense, I should probably call him Wes Anderson. I think it comes hey, back Wes. to uh, one of the things I like about this script more so than things like maybe like Bottle Rocket or... Royal Tenenbaums is because it takes place in such a isolated location. Mm. The abnormality of all the characters doesn't feel as uh, off. Whereas okay. I think in Royal Tenenbaums, because it's set in a city where other people exist, or it stands a out world, more. I guess it just sort of yeah. it's like it feels like these characters. If you saw them walking down the street, they're not normal. Right. Okay. Which comes back to ironically that quote I brought up that no one's deemed normal mm. according to Wes Anderson. But I feel like because this thing apparently takes place in a coastal Island off New Zealand, which was also confusing. I think it was, I think it was actually New England. Oh, okay. What's well, a New Zealand in one of the descriptions? Oh, really? Real weird. Ooh, I think uh, I wrote this down somewhere actually, but 
Um, Maybe we're all losing our, our choppers. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I got New England on here. Well, they... well if I'm... it's New England, that's fine. It's, um, it's a new place. But because it's, cause it's <laughs> yeah, because it's centered around one island, all of these characters don't feel as quirky, so they feel as normal. Right. Feel it normal. feels like its own sort of world. Yeah. It's a smaller world, which justifies With, I mean, the there's craziness. only one exchange to this world outside of this island, really. Hmm. I mean, which is the phone call to uh, Sam's foster parents. Right, 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 right. Um, and a few uh, but even then, they sequences. kind of, they, those, they as characters play into the craziness because they're the yeah. ones, you know, the, oh, we won't accept And then the social services lady. That's it, yep. Also, Tilda Swinton. I think she's credited as just social services. Yes. Like, she is the entire embodiment of that. I like <laughs> that, that too. Yeah, that's clever. But it's like all of them. It's like like yeah. Bruce Willis is just the police. And <laughs> there are lawyers. Like, Bill Murray and uh, Francis McDermott are both yeah, yeah. just lawyers who don't well, get I just I love the casting of that. And especially, especially, to your point, Bruce Willis and Edward Norton, they're put in these roles of authority but because of the again, this goes back to to Wes Anderson wanting to do this kind of story. Yeah, they're they're authoritative figures, but it's a camp. It's like a little Boy yeah. Scouts camp. So it's like they've got this tiny little bit of authority, and they play mm. it so well. I love it. Well, it's just like and and you look at Ed Norton's uh, idol in the film, mm. which is just the <laughs> the guy above him who's yeah, like the yeah. Grandmaster Scout and who ends up. Comically getting set on fire, basically. Ah, uh, yeah. I really, I really, I enjoy this film. It's a quaint, enjoyable experience. That I mean, a lot of Wes Anderson stuff ends with you going, "What is happening?" I think I audibly said you to literally, you, "Literally, I think, I think, once someone was stripped by lightning, and then the movie just continues." Yeah, and, and you're they, like, they, "What the hell's going they on?" They passed off like <laughs> he was struck by lightning. It was almost like he fell and skinned his knee. Yeah, that's kind of I how mean, they treated it. It was interesting. I think I like this style of film better in um, the animations because it's an animation. Right. I, I see what you mean. Um, and I find it, I can, I struggle as a film watcher and filmmaker mm. to really push myself outside of the realism world, especially when we talk about potentially, I mean, the film we're going to talk about next week is the complete opposite <laughs> of this film. So it's like, I, I, I just think that it's really strange for me to see like characters who just get struck by lightning and they treat it like it's nothing and they literally right. do just keep going yeah 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 and then if we when we're talking about the climax of the film where all three characters are struck by lightning and they're just left hanging in this weird sort of animation style which right yeah i be it is very wes anderson but it's also like c- confusing and almost f- i don't understand the motivation you know like like i still can't yeah. imagine sometimes it feels like we give this a pass because it's quirky, but at the same time, what's the motivation? I, I'm really glad you brought this up because this segues perfectly into a discussion point I wanted to bring up, which is, you're right, it's a very stylish film, and a lot of people bring that up. You know, is it style over substance? Yes. And my question is, I feel like there's a lot of substance in the story and the, and the script of this film, but is the style too there's... much? Is it too distracting, I feel I, I'd like? I'd say so. I mean... I, I, can, I drew parallels while we were watching the film. I felt like there was sort of a Jane and the Lost Boys vibe going mm, on with Peter like, Pan. Peter, Peter Pan sort of thing, yeah. Uh, particularly, she is the only young female character in the entirety of the film. That's true, um, yeah. 
Yeah, and think about that. there is multiple scenes where she's reading to Sam, mm. the boy, but then also to the rest of the Boy Scouts, which is very much sort of... And all of these boys yeah. are being sent away from their homes to an island away from their parents, and they only have one uh, young a young adult who seemingly doesn't want to grow up from being a Boy Scout. Right, yeah. So th- I feel like there's enough parallels there that it feels I, like... It def- it, I, I can't imagine it not being a homage. Or yeah. not even a homage, just some sort of influence from, Absolutely. from Peter Pan. I mean, somewhere. you look at Ed Norton's character, he says he's a math teacher first, and then he changes it to, no, I'm a scout leader first. That's my, <laughs> that's my occupation. I oh, almost meant that it's, as a quote earlier yeah. in this episode. I was like, it's so good. And But I do. I have this argument where I feel like it works in the animation world because the animation world has, like, characters can get electrocuted because, mm. like, literally in Fantastic Mr. Fox, characters get electrocuted and we see their skeletons like in a yeah, cartoonish like sense. The, yeah, for, like, those frames. So, um, and I'm not saying cartoons don't have substance and character. In fact, I think Isle of Dogs has an incredibly moving beautiful story and mm. also a really good message in it. So I'm not yeah. saying cartoons can't carry the same substance that a live action film is. I just don't think this style works as well in live action. And I feel like sometimes we give this style a little bit of allowance because, yeah, it does break the norm, but at the same mm. time, at what, like, how much are we losing? Because characters saying what they're feeling and, and, and getting struck by light, and, like, you can't have them have an emotional connection and then have a character struck by lightning for no real reason, I feel like. Yeah, I I just think... Because it literally has no reason, apart from it's, it doesn't even scare off the... I, I feel like he does it in that scene. He goes, like, I'm going to scare off the boys by being struck by lightning. But then all those scouts still chase him, like, two seconds later. Right, yeah. I feel like it... Does, I guess it plays into that moment later when they when they kiss on the top. is like a tower or something. But we something. knew they had chemistry. We, they yeah. didn't need a spark to show it. Yeah, I guess it's where why- Anderson's has been like, I want to have this visual sort of thing in this scene. So and I then guess all three characters getting struck by lightning and then hanging by some beam. Like- yeah. Look, I, I totally understand it. And like, would I prefer this to be animation than live action? Probably, I suppose. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's it, it's fun to see, first I mean, off, the cast that they have. It's fun to see them in the outfits. He can do humanoid the, characters, though. He did yeah. them both in Isle of Dogs and Fantastic Mr. Fox. Hmm. Some of, I mean, some of the most compelling stuff in Isle of Dogs is to do with the, the human character interacting with Brian Cranston. Right, yeah, yeah. And and then on the other side of it, the, uh, the, the chick character who's, like, trying to rescue oh, them. Oh, yeah, the activist sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't... Uh, yeah, I think it would have benefited from being... Some of these films would have benefited. Grand Budapest honestly does stand on its own feet as a live action, but this one does too. I just think sometimes it feels like too much and we're losing it. And, you know, people can stick their hands up and go, oh, it's quirky, it's something different, it's refreshing. But to, but I feel like we're also... This story was really, really, really entertaining, up and, right. especially up until the bit where they spent the night on the beach that mm. they named Moonrise Kingdom later in the film. And then... Like, everyone finds them. And there's a scene where he un- and Sam... And I'm going to put it... Like, I don't want to talk about highlight scenes yet, but when he unzips the tent, oh, and then Bill yeah. Murray starts and running towards there. it. Yeah, yeah, And then he zips it back up, and then Bill Murray just picks the tent up. It's funny. <laughs> but it's it's exactly what it should be. These two ran away together because they were trying to escape. Mm. Their realities. That's a compelling enough story, you know? Because I... they didn't feel wanted by their families, obviously. 
I know. I mean, I know that all clicks, but I feel like what I'm hearing that the spe- the very specific complaints that you're having, as in like the the execution, why does this happen? Why does this? Happen? I think it's actually more to do with the script than the way they shoot it. Yeah, almost because it's I yeah like some of the visual motifs are like a really nice, even though it doesn't feel like they're motivated. Yeah, from like a, a world building or realistic standpoint of like oh they're dangling off this thing, they just got electrocuted sort of thing. Um, and I do agree it would have worked better as animation because you're right, it's, it's, it's an extra layer of self, uh, of not self, um, disbelief mm-hmm. that we're ripping away if it were animation. Yeah. But in terms of the way he uses the camera, and I, I, I described it to you as almost like rather than moving the camera to one angle, he would rather shift the entire planet Earth yeah. to one And it feels like you're watching a stage play. The way the sets are cut from one yeah. shot to this shot. It's a very ethereal camera. It moves mm. It moves in the scene or the scene moves around the camera. Like, yeah. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, exactly. Ra- like rather than it moving in the scene, the, the, the whole scene moves. But did any of that stuff in particular distract you from the no. story or bother you? Nobody okay. used to his style at this point. I know right. the camera's going to be like... I'm making a sound, um, but like shifting, like it's always going to be moving. It's yeah. going, characters are going to be center frame and I don't have a problem with center frame exchanges. I think they're kind of fun too. Um, especially in this type of film, I'd really like to shoot something on, on the same ilk, the center framing sort of style, but, um, and I like his ethereal camera movement stuff. Mm. Uh, sometimes it can be a little like inconsistent. I think the narrator the guy who describes the island. Oh, yeah, when it cuts he, from shot to shot to shot. And he moves it, it between lower third to second third. Mm, yeah. But it's always on the right or the left of frame. And it really got on my nerves because <laughs> it was like it wasn't consistent. <laughs> and I know he's doing it deliberately because right. he's obviously a very – he wants it that way. But I think that's just kind of – I don't want to – I don't want to say – it's Uh-oh. just this kind of pretentious. Oh! It's like – Come on, like, we get it, you're different, you're trying to be different, you're trying to show the world's different, we should, but like, uh, I'm sorry. He dropped it. It just feels like, I said this to you when we were watching it. Yeah. The colour palette is always very warm in a Wes Anderson film. Yeah, yeah, Bo- I'm glad you're going to bring this up. Borderline yeah. yellow, sometimes. Mm. On characters' skins, where they are white, it has a yellow, like, colour correction, and it feels like it's very much, like... There were points where they, like you said, they look like Simpson characters, <laughs> and their skin tones. I'm kind of yeah. that frustrates me because it's like, if anyone other than Wes Anderson does that, it's considered bad color grading and it's garbage. But because this guy is called Wes Anderson, and I know it's a that's a real polarizing statement. But if you and I did that on one of our films, we'd have half the half the audience being like, no, we'd have probably most of the people around mm. us go. Well, we're colorblind. We can't see the color of the skin. It's so yellow and, and off-puttingly gross. Mm. I mean, one of the films we did, one of the short films we did, there's a scene where it's pretty much the character is just beiged in yellow because of the color of the warm lighting around it. Which film again? Uh, Cradle. Right, right, right. Sorry. Um, yeah. And I've had half the people say they really like that lighting, and some people hate that lighting. Wait, who... Oh, I'm not going to ask you who, but um, that surprised me because I feel like the skin tones are still... Like there, it's just the surroundings. Yeah, but and thus that's the argument Wes Anderson could make with these is the surroundings make I, a little I bit suppose, more yellow. But the way we shot Cradle was very naturalistic. It was very much yeah. We literally just shot. We maybe had like one LED Whereas light. Whereas this the is corner. intentional. Yeah, this is very much they set up the lights to do this effect. Yeah, 
I mean, especially with that narrator stuff. Mm. Look how yellow his skin is, and look at the surrounding. There, there, there's no motivation for why his skin's yellow. It's just kind of yellowy because he likes that warm color palette yeah. rather than him being a pale old man telling the screen. And I get it; it's to keep with the vibe and the tone. Yeah. But I think sometimes it can look a bit janky. I guess, and I say this as a, as a colorblind man, <laughs> if I dare so say, that um, that none of that really bothered me. Mm. Because again, it just it kind of put me into the world, and and it does. Well, sometimes it looks really good. I just yeah. think sometimes it's a little bit like, I don't know. I just wish it would be a little bit. It, or when it's blue, it's really blue. Ah, oh, some of the nighttime scenes. Oh, that that took me back into like, is this feels like a play thing? Because the way they would light it in a play, they just make it blue just so it simulates nighttime. And if it was sun, it would be you very know. much a warm yellow hue. You're absolutely yeah, exactly. correct. So it's kind of just turning the saturation up to a hundred. So I think you hit the nail on the head with this yeah. play setup, especially this film. Mm. This film. The Tenenbaums, when you see that in Grand Budapest, they all feel like plays to an extent. Like you could see them on play, like in plays. Yeah, even even like the phone conversation. You're right when Bruce Willis and Edward Norton and stuff, they're calling the foster parents. Mm-hmm. Like in my head, I'm like, okay, that's this side on the stage, and they're on that side yeah. of the stage, and that back and forth just feels so reminiscent of of a stage play experience. So. That's that's really what my takeaway was, especially from, from a color standpoint, from a blocking standpoint, from even just the way the dialogue was written. It felt like a play. I don't see if there's any sort of like stage play experience with him. Oh, with Wes Anderson. Yeah, Let's see if he's got any. That would be surprising because obviously he did short films before he did features, so it feels like he was always sort of a film guy. I imagine. Yeah, it pretty much just said yeah. Yeah. He's essentially just been a filmmaker person, but there's no derivatives. His first ambition was to be a writer. Which Sit- you could see. <laughs> yep. Worked as a projectionist. Um, made silent films in the 80s when he was like a kid. Um, very Spielberg-ish. That's, that's it. Yeah, very JJ-esque. I yeah. mean, uh, so no real derivatives of him being a lover of... I mean, he probably is. Generally, most filmmakers I'm do sure, like yeah. live... I like live performances. You like into, live performances. because yeah, it goes into performance again. Yeah. And dialogue and all these things that film touches in as well. Be interesting to... Yeah, but... Um, funny enough. But, yeah. He's 50 this year, by the way. Oh, there you go. Look at that. 50, so, 51, beg my pardon. Can you guess, without fact-checking immediately, mm-hmm. can you guess the one Oscar nomination this film got? Can you guess what it was for? What category? Probably for the chick's performance. No. Best original screenplay. Which is surprising to me, because I could have named 10 other categories, I think. Maybe not deserved it better, but were definitely highlighted. I thought, like, production, production design. Production design would be the big for one. sure. I the really enjoyed the production design. You know what? The perform- that's a good one. I would have given the two, the the two kids. I would have given Susie and Sam. A nod for this one. I think they both were pretty strong. I mean, I'm pretty sure this would have been the same year as like Birdman. This was a Michael t- Keaton. A 20, so. No, this was 2012. So this is 2012. Yeah. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of a different movie. Um, still, I I can imagine the competition that would have happened. That yeah, yeah. Uh, fact check it for us, Zeke, if you will. I did actually do the 2012 nominees back in like episode 39, 40. Oh. Um, if you recall, I talked about how The Grey was a snub that year. Ah, you did too. Um, you went right so, into that. Um, For although, I, albeit, um, there were some strong performances in some films. Uh, like I said back in that episode, mm. The Descendants, Moneyball, Tree of Life, Artist, Midnight in Paris, Hugo, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, War Horse and the Help. Not a good year. 
Um, so this should have probably found its way in there. It may have been due to when it came out. It could have been in the 2013 Oscar season. Mm. I'll, I'll just quickly fact check that. Um, but because uh, then it could have been put in that uh, real uncomfortable graveyard time of year. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's have a look. 30th of August, 2012. No, that would have actually been in prime 2013 Oscar season, though. So the 2013... Um, uh, let's head over to the following year. <laughs> it, it, it just surprised me, though, that it was... Like, nothing wrong with the screenplay. I thought it was a, a, a sweet story. But it was... I don't know. It's just... When I think of that movie and when I was watching it, in my head, I was like, wow... And, Obviously, communication between departments, production design, cinematography, you know, all these things. Obviously, it's important, but this one really highlights that, man, you know? And I just, I don't know why Screenplay was the only one that got acknowledged. Okay, so this is a, a tougher year for 2013. A tougher year. So, you had Silver Linings Playbook, Zero Dark Thirty, mm. which came right off the Osama Bin Laden killings. Argo, yep. Argo. Uh Lincoln. So, these are some tough, tough... Wants to go up against Amor, which is a French Are you film. About performance specifically. No, this is best general? picture. Okay, okay. Um, it's tricky to track all of them. Silver Linings yeah. Playbook is that that one won a bunch. Django Unchained, Life of Pi, and Beasts of the Southern Wild, which has actually made me a little bit curious about what that film is. Um, yeah, I was going to say I don't know what that is. No, but you got nominated for best picture. <laughs> Bloody hell, then. Yeah, um, Amor, I have on DVD. I just haven't watched. Uh, it's a French film about two old people falling in love. Who knows what that's... Uh, that's like, that ever happens. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I'm making a so joke a little about you because you're old. Year, um, especially for a quirky <laughs> Wes anderson S film. I mean, he's only been nominated for Best Picture twice. I'm Which, for Grand Budapest Hotel, I know Isle, that. Isle of Dogs. And, uh, for I Best think, Picture? I think it was. What? Best an- No, it must be Best Animation you're thinking of. Yeah, yeah. And it lost to Spider-Man, which I have very... I, that's up. Those two films come out in the same year as a crime, man. They both deserve that Oscar. Okay. So Best Animated Feature, Isle of Dogs. Best Picture, Grand Budapest. Best Director, Grand Budapest. Mm. Original Screenplay, Grand Budapest. Original Screenplay, Movie Rise Kingdom. Yep. Animated Feature, Fantastic Mr. Fox. And Original Screenplay. He's never won. These were all nominees. He has never won... An Oscar at all. Nope. Oh, well. Screw them, man. Screw the Which Academy. Which I do think is a little bit, but then they are ever wrong. since Lego Movie didn't win Best Animation, well, <laughs> life is a lie. Uh, I mean, it, I mean, it doesn't deserve it, Zeke. I don't know what you're talking about. That's weird, though. Only seven uh, seven nominations. Uh, I guess, yeah. I mean, mo- most of the greats never really got, never won an Oscar, really. This is true, but they literally, I think all of them are pretty much... Steve's At least the four I've looked at, all above 90% of Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> so, well, there you go. Go take a look. Um, oh. So with the plot, let's get a bit more into the... Well, most. Let's talk about the two kids. So obviously, yeah, sure. very good performers. Uh, I know, and this was a bit of a controversy, which I won't really get too much into, but this is something you touched on as well when we watched it. Little, little borderline uncomfortable some of the stuff they touch in. Absolutely. So where, where do you want to go with this one? I think it's just the age, right? Mm, I think and, they're about 12 in story time. Yeah, and I mean, it comes back to some of these films have had some rather uncomfortable grey area stuff mm. going on, particularly uh, Royal Tenenbaums has one that's a bit... Oh, no. eh. um, I think a lot of people lashed out at Isle of Dogs, mm. which I disagreed with, with the controversy about the depiction of... Oh, that was silly. Yeah, it was silly. Um, I think Fantastic Mr. Fox is pretty okay. 
for the most part. I can't think of anything that's a little off. Oh, you're, you're talking about like controversial yeah, materials. Yeah, but this, this film in particular, yeah, they're a little young. Um, particularly the scene when they discover Moonrise Kingdom and it gets it gets a little, uh, little much. Yeah. Well, like there's the a, scene, there's them... a scene where she gives him permission to touch her breast. Yeah. And she even makes like, it's not really a joke, but she even says like, oh, they'll get bigger. Yeah. Sort of thing. And it's like, I get that that's sort of the juvenile, like we've got to put ourselves in the heads of the 13-year-old right, yeah, yeah. mind, and it's something that I'm sure as a 13-year-old, most 13-year-old as a boy would mm. imagine doing that. Um, Why don't you get on that action? But it's one thing to be <laughs> it, another thing to see it. Right. Um, as an adult, you don't feel comfortable watching that, I don't think. Right. Um, you know, it's probably... Yeah, exactly. As a thir- if you were thirteen, then it would be fine. But I don't know. It would just made you and I a little uncomfortable, a little squeamish. I mean, I <laughs> I was going to talk about how oh, I was totally fine with it. I mean, I think I think part of it. You're right. You got to buy into the world of. We got to look beyond it too. Yeah, exactly. I don't I've... want to be crying the PC alarm on this <laughs> one because it for the most it's fine, but it's right. something that made us a little uncomfortable. But it doesn't mean it's... Well, I made a joke. I don't know if I was... Because, like, when we've watched stuff like um, Dogtooth. Yeah. And whatnot. But the thing is, those films, you kind of go into it knowing you're going to get some weird... Imagine going into Dogtooth and not knowing what's going to happen. Yeah. It's it's insane. I'm like, I've turned people off on that film just because it's like... It's, I, I think it's a great, great film. Some people shouldn't watch it. Absolutely. <laughs> some people are not going to have film, fun watching that fine. film. This film, fine. Anyone can watch yeah, this film. Yeah, I think, I think that's the main thing is this, is this film is very much like a... From a tonal standpoint, it's very kind of appealing and attractive and in that a, way. Admittedly, Wes Anderson's line of dialogue and his character performance sort of make this like not creepy. I don't think. Yeah. Well, it's got a it's got a PG rating here, which yeah. is it's it's probably a hard PG. I mean, there's a dog that gets shot with an arrow at one point. Yeah. There's I I'm trying to remember some of the, I, someone says bastard at one point. Yeah. I mean, it's as far and maybe maybe bitch. I can't remember like specifically what sort of swears were used or anything like that but you're right it's a hard pg and i think i think from a sexual standpoint you're right it's a little because you're right they're young and as someone who's not 12 or 13 mm-hmm. i can understand that like oh we should like should we be watching this is a little weird i don't think it takes it too far i all i'm thinking really is like oh i wonder if the actors were that comfortable with it yeah that's all i'm really thinking about i reckon they were yeah i'm sure they were fine um, with it. i do think in that scene it doesn't feel that awkward I don't think. It just feels like... Yeah. Especially when they build up to it, too. It plays like, into the coming-of-age themes. Yeah. So. They're just like, they kiss, and they go, what's French kissing? And they don't know it. And oh, by yeah, playing the ignorance it. on the French kissing, it makes the other stuff seem a little, like... I think him talking about his erection is where it gets a little weird. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> so, yeah. And her saying it's okay, because then you start to get... And then, they do end up sleeping together, not having sex. Well, yeah, but, but they're in the same bunk or whatever. I it guess, is. but it, it it's often like uh, this is very normal for Wes Anderson films to have children with. Uh, they have the the Snoopy peanuts esque formula of children that have the brains of adults, right? Yeah, rather yeah, than yeah. the brain of a child, which both these children, although I think they make a point in the film of saying they're both very intelligent. Yeah, but this is a normal, this is a commonality in a lot of his films. Royal mm. Tenenbaums, all the kids are very smart. Fantastic Mr. Fox, the son's yeah, pretty they're all sharp. They're all pretty sneaky, sharp. Yeah. All the younger ones are pretty sharp. I mean... It's just to serve his dialogue, though. Yeah. Like, you can't have that dialogue with a bumbling idiot sort of yeah. thing. Um, so this is a commonality, and so it makes 
the maturity of their dialogue feel um, like their actions are a bit more justified and mm. less weird. Whereas they both, if they were both talked like twelve-year-olds or talked down as dumbed-down twelve-year-olds, that would make that scene way more weird. Yeah. I think. Well, it's in contrast to something like if you watch the film Eighth Grade, where literally every second word those characters say is um. Yes. And it's so it's like annoyingly embedded into their dialogue. Very impressive that they can even do yeah. that. But uh, that you're right. It's you either have that or you go to the other extreme. You do what Wes Anderson does, which is just super sharp tip yeah. top dialogue. Not realistic. Yeah, exactly. Well, it plays into his style, his sense of world building. Absolutely. Which I I can appreciate. And it took them eight months to audition those kids. I don't know if it was or just those two or the entire range that's of hectic. kid actors, but that's a that's a long time. That is a very long time. <laughs> oh, do you have anything else to add, Jack? Um, no, not really. I just ninety minutes felt like a long ninety minutes. Though, yeah, we it? said that after the runtime. Not a bad ninety, but felt like a long ninety. It felt yeah. It felt although I'm getting conflicting thoughts. The DVD said ninety, then IMDb says like ninety three. I read oh, no, like, that whole three minutes. I know. Oh, no. Whole Where'd it go? It makes a big old difference. You do a lot in three it? minutes. <laughs> Those kids can't do a lot in three minutes. Uh, oh, that's why I said can't. Protect myself. Well, in that case, um, do you want to jump into highlight scenes? Yeah. Easy sure. Um, the face-off uh, between Sam, Susie, and the rest of the boys in the jungle. Right. Yeah, okay. That interaction was very sharp and very funny. It actually reminds me a bit of, um, I mean, you got a bit of standby in me there, but more so It, when yeah. they have the little rock fight in the chapter one. Yeah, and then leading to the boys attacking and cutting to a weird animation and a scream. Oh. And the dog dying <laughs> and the kid being stabbed was very funny. And it leads to the quote that we said earlier. Was he a good dog? Uh, can't say for sure, but he didn't deserve to die. Or whatever the quote was. Yes. So that's your highlight scene? Uh, that one and probably uh, the two parallel shots of Ed Norton getting out of his tent and moving through the camp was very entertaining. Oh, right, like towards the start? Yep, and then the one where he oh, has no one. contrasted, yep. Oh. That was a great little World circular building. device. Yeah. yeah. No, that's awesome. Um, I want to give a shout-out to, obviously, the opening sequence, which is something I recognised. I was like, wait, we saw this in class. Yeah. <laughs> we saw this opening in a, in a specifically a directing class. Yes. So it gives you a sense of the use of colour and camera and blocking Very and all much that so. stuff. Um, so I wanted to give that a shout out. But my favourite scene, and I mentioned it to you when we saw it, was the letter writing montage is when they, I believe it's the parents or the authorities of some kind, they discover the letters that, that Sam and Susie have been sending each other over the course of time that led to this escape of theirs. And I just love the use of dialogue and the way it's cut, like abruptly between each letters and their use of the mise-en-scene, like what they cut to during the voiceover. It actually reminded me a little bit. There's a scene in The Curious Case of Benjamin Button where, and it's probably one of my favorite scenes in that film, which is a film I'm not even that big of a fan of, to be honest. It is. Uh, oh, but one of the, one of the more impressive things I did in that scene, uh, uh, film, is the scene when uh, I forget the character's name, but it's Kate Blanchett. Uh, she gets hit by a car, and it's a montage of all the un- seemingly unrelated characters and things that happen that lead to her getting hit by a car. And it's stuff like, oh, this person who bought a shoe was late to this thing, so this led to this person doing this. It led to, And it's this giant chain effect that has this voiceover that kind of leads us through it. And it reminded me very much of this scene with the two kids. And um, It's a really good back and forth. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's the back and forth. It's the way... 
of it's the Missile scene where they cut to. Little another add to that weird creepy talk that we were talking about earlier okay. with like the hope. him painting her. Oh my god, yeah. And there were was there nudes in that from memory? No, she's not nude. She's okay. in a her undergarments, but oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once again, I know it's to it's play back Titanic-esque. the kids are the adults. They're meant to be adults, but it's like they're not. And as a viewer, it makes you a tiny bit uncomfortable that whole sequence of the film. Um, but like you said, hard yeah. PG is a good way to go with this film. Yeah, it's yeah. If it, if they gave this an M, I wouldn't be surprised. I suppose. Absolutely. But that was that was probably my favorite scene. And one last quick shout out to the soundtrack of this film, which is actually phenomenal. Yeah, it's really good. So. Particularly that opening sequence. Yeah. I'm actually surprised that I didn't get nominated for anything either. No worries. Well, that was our review of Moonrise Kingdom. Mm. Hope you out, enjoyed it. Out in the DVDs and Blu-rays. Everywhere. It's everywhere. Everywhere. Actually, is it not Stan or something? You know what? I'm not even sure. But we can do a quick fact check. We can do that. We do that thing with the fact checks. I know. We've gotten onto Like, I know when we first started the show, it was just like... What? Fact check. I guess we'll find out next week. <laughs> and now we bought little things called computers and phones, which Supposedly didn't exist. it's on Netflix, actually. I'm checking right now. But I'm uh, not sure I agree with that. No, it's not coming up for me. Lost in Translation comes up. <laughs> I'm actually on the app right now, and it's not coming up. So that is incorrect. The, the fundamentals are caring, Aaron. If you want to watch that seek instead. Oh, fair enough. No. Well... Um, it's definitely out on DVD and wide release. Uh, check it out. It might be on a streaming platform near you. Mm. But Jake, what is new in cinemas? This it is this? not on stand, by the way. Oh, okay. <laughs> is there anything uh, new coming out? All right, new in cinemas in the next week. And again, disclaimer because of the pre-recording, subject to change, if you will. Little asterisks. Little asterisks in uh, this entire write-up. But there are a few things coming out this week. Sean the Sheep, the movie Farmageddon. Yeah, boy. I like Sean the Sheep. Yeah, Sean the Sheep is based off Wallace and Gromit, right? That makes a lot of sense. But also, why are there so many of these movies getting theatrical they releases? They must get money. They must, make they money. must do because there's so many that they're maybe they're cheap to make. That maybe, but are they still are, they're not claymation yet. It's CG. Uh, well, it I'd looks, assume it's CG. It now. looks CG. Yeah, only the Wallace and Gromit stuff still. Yeah, I would be surprised if it was like claymation or. Yeah. stop motion and it was actually making significant money that'd be surprising so another one comes out my spy with dave batista and he's a hardened cgi agent who finds himself taking orders from a uh precessu- i guess precessuous nine-year-old girl in a family action comedy so that's that's fun. gonna be trash <laughs> that's that's fun zeke isn't, isn't that fun probably gonna be trash a hidden life which is about a humble Austrian farmer becomes a, a consci- conscientious objector when he refuses to fight for the Nazis in this based-on-real events World War II drama from writer-director Terence Malick. Uh, it will be out in the US, uh, but by the time you're listening to this, it will be getting its wide release, I imagine. Nice. So, yeah. And last but not least, in a very similar situation, it should be getting its wide release in the next week, 1917. It's about two young British soldiers attempt to deliver a message that could save one six. There, yeah, I was going to say one thousand six hundred, but it also sixteen hundred men in a single shot World War One drama from Sam Mendes. That's I, pretty cool. Sounding. I believe that's Australian. That sounds cool. I think so. Yeah. So again, that's uh, that will be in wide release in the next week. It might already be out in the US prior to well you listening to this. No worries. Well, we'll move into what we're watching next week. But Jake, mm. what is that? 
Oh, I don't know. A little thing called Inside Lewin Davis. Explain the cat. What's its name? I, I don't know. He snuck out the door. Do you think you're staying here tonight? Leaving. Oh. I was hoping to. Lewin Davis, a former merchant marine, is a folk singer from Greenwich Village, New York City. He struggles to maintain his artistic independence against the commercial needs of the music industry. This film was directed by Ethan and Joel Cohen. Whoa, bro, and is an absolute banger. And the funniest thing is, Jake, next week we turn one. We turn one years old next week, which is great because this is your number one film in your 365 challenge. Yeah. I mean, it'll be uh, interesting to know, uh, obviously, given this pre-recorded nature, if uh, how I'm going when we get back to <laughs> normal live recordings, how I'm doing in my 2020 uh, 365 oh, that's challenge. A good point. That's a good point. But yes, I love this film. Mm. I, this film in the 2019 365 film challenge held its number one placing for, I think it was something like 92 films or something like that. It was Tower knocked it off. Damn. And Blindspotting equaled it. Oh, so that's a spoiler. You you powered this with Blindspotting. That doesn't mean... We also, next week on the show, will be talking about our three least favourite films, our three personal favourite films, and the film of 2019 that we watched... Exciting yeah. times, yeah, Jake. It's going to be exciting. Very I, exciting I can't wait times. for us to figure out what those titles are going to be called. Going to be a lot. Uh, a lot of stuff next week on the show. Exciting but times, everyone. Thank you for joining us for the Cinema Sideshow podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. And we'll catch you next week with Inside Lewin Davis.